This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Horns of Odin. Horns of Odin is a family-run company which specialises in drinking horns and horn mugs. Every horn is sanded, polished and carved right here in our own workshop. And we line each one with a full-grade beeswax so you get a nice clean taste every time. We also have a selection of copper and brass jewellery, leatherwork and our own blacksmith, all handmade right here in the UK. We're giving an exclusive discount to listeners of the podcast. So all you've got to do is simply add the code HORNS10 now that's Horns10 to grab 10% off your entire order at checkout. So why not head over to the website www.hornsvoden.com to see the full collection of our products. We also recently hit 30,000 Instagram followers and we'll be holding a huge raffle really soon. We've had tons of amazing prizes donated and every single penny that we raise will be donated to charity. So if you just pop over to Instagram and follow us at hornsvoden.com, as soon as the charity goes live, we'll let you all know. Right, let's jump into the show. Welcome to the Nordic Mythology Podcast. I'm Daniel Farron, co-owner of the company Horns of Odin, and I'm joined, as always, by Dr. Matthias Nordvig. Hello. And today we have a very special guest. Uh, it's actually her second time, but we managed to lose the first recording. So, hello to Kathy Ran. Daniel, you shouldn't... <laughs> we, you know, we like to be honest on this podcast. We, we, we say it how it is. Yes, hello for the second time. Uh, pleasure to see you guys again. So uh, yeah, yeah, you you too. It's uh, it's unfortunate that we're we're gonna call it technical issues, but really it falls <laughs> down to me being a bit of an idiot. So I'll I'll, I'll take the blame for uh, for it disappearing. <laughs> so yeah, it's I mean it's one of those things. I think we we'll learn from it, and you know you you uh, nice enough to come back and speak to us again. Yeah, no problem at all. It's uh, we'll see what happens this time and uh, where the conversation leads us. So that's it. Yeah. So I mean, how how are you, Matthias? Let's start off by you know catching up. It's been a, a little while. No, yeah. Well, I mean, I I'm doing okay. Um, waiting for a lot of things to fall into place, but otherwise, uh, I, I'm I'm uh, I'm quite happy. Um, got a wonderful view and everything. So how about you, Katy? How uh, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Um, I'm right now using the time uh, where I have more time to work on my new album uh, to make the final recordings. Um, I think the last recording is going to be done the 13th of July in Solslotted Studio in Bergen uh, with Gal. And so this is very exciting because then we mix and master and... Uh, yeah, make sure that something new gets released after some time. So I'm looking forward to that. Awesome. I mean, so have you found that, I mean, I guess for everybody else, everything's a little bit slower, but for you, is it better the way things have turned out? Is it allowed you to work on it, work on the album more, and then hopefully when things do start to open up a bit more, you can then record quicker? Yeah, for me, um, it's actually had its advantages that people have been in lockdown because people that normally might have had a busier schedule uh, had more time in their agenda opening. So uh, this, for example, has helped me a lot uh, working together with one of my team members who is a professor in Bergen University in Old Norse Linguistics. 
Um, and he normally would have taught uh, classes and now his time became available to go through uh, my new lyrical work and uh, yeah, bring his expertise in there uh, on top of uh, what I already had laid down. So um, yeah, um, that was extremely lucky actually because now we could just work quicker and more effectively. And um, also with recording artists, um, overall the artists are not performing so much anymore on stages in this period or can't. So that gives time for studio work. Who's the professor in Bergen? Christer uh, Varus. I knew you were going to ask that. Yeah. <laughs> of course. <laughs> he's, uh, he's actually brought to me uh, by Aina of Eirik Storsund uh, oh, yeah. from Brut Nors. And um, yeah, we had contact before for Blood Billion. And this time uh, I got actually in contact with one of his former teachers when he was studying in Bergen. So, um, yeah, we've been very uh, happy that all uh, was working out. No, I, I mean, the, uh, this, this field of Norse studies is, is sort of like small and incestuous. So, so you tend to know everybody in some way or another, have heard their names or encountered them at a conference. And so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this, this gentleman uh, is, is, is a linguist. So it's, uh, yeah. it's a different branch, you could say, of the research. Yeah. Hmm. I imagine that's something you know quite well about Mateus, just being having some more free time at the minute. Obviously you you're unable to teach. I know are you doing online teachings or uh, yeah, I'm I'm teaching online right now and also building these online courses. Um because, you know, it's summer and <laughs> why not work in middle of vacation too? Uh so yeah, that, that's what I'm doing right now. Um, and and then, of course, also working on a bunch of other projects, um, book projects and, and a lot of interesting things. So, yeah. So is it is it looking like it's going to stay online next year when everything, you know, when the next school year starts? Is it, is it oh. just going to go back to normal and you guys just go back in and teach as, teach as you should? So we're definitely not going back in and teaching as we normally would. Um, but the way that it's going to work is um, on our campus, it kind of looks like a whole big mess of everything. So one of the, the, the last things I heard was that uh, we're actually planning on 4,000 outside seats. So basically intense. <laughs> but, you know, the weather in Colorado um, makes it possible. It's, uh, it's a nice uh, warm sun and everything. So at least for part of the fall semester, that could work out. Um, but yeah, it's definitely, we're going to have like social distancing. So we are going to be, um, like half the amount of students in class, uh, uh, for a normal session. If you have, you know, face-to-face -face classes. Okay. Is that, is that, is the outside classes because the classrooms are too small to accommodate everyone yeah. with that distance? Yeah. And, um, and we're also going to be. Um, I think we're going to be in class fewer days than we would normally um, be there. So uh, if I have any face-to-face uh, -face teaching, it will be just one uh, day out of the week, and then everything else will be online in one capacity or another. So, See, yeah. My, my ignorance, or maybe it's just what I've seen on TV, 
I always assumed that the kind of like lecture rooms were these big, big oval shaped rooms with the seats that kind of tear up and everyone's got loads of space and you stand at the front. And I assume I've probably just seen that on Friends. Uh, no, actually, that 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 is uh, you know here in the U.S. that is a a thing. Uh, we do have classes like that, but it's only only the classes that you know could fill uh, such a big lecture hall. So, for instance, like you know some basic engineering classes, they will have you know four hundred students in in a big lecture hall like that. The um, the large lecture halls that we teach in Norse mythology and uh, Viking history. They are usually, you know, somewhere around 160 to 70 uh, people. So that would be the same situation. But otherwise, it's, you know, normal class settings with like 30 students in a class. See, I don't know what I thought, but I always just kind of assumed that you had maybe just tons of those rooms on campus and every class was in. Because I guess that's what you see on TV, right? You know, that's not (laughs) whenever they, they show, you know, universities on, on, on television, it's always these big lecture halls. So... I just assumed that's how where all the classes were. Oh well, I, I'm, it used to be in in many ways. It used to be like that with a lot of classes, but you know, it's always been uh, you know smaller classes and then these large lectures. Um, but yeah, no, the, the large lectures I, I I love them because they give you plenty of uh, of chances to to create all those embarrassing scenarios that you always see on TV. You know, in different ways. <laughs> I bet, I bet there's some good moments. Um, so, Katy, let's speak about the... I guess it's not a, the new single anymore, but it's the latest single. Um, so, I'm not going to try and pronounce the name because I will butcher it in my... Yeah, because in my, my uh, British Yorkshire accent wouldn't go too well with it. I'd just make a mess of it. Yeah, what would you like to know about it? It's... Uh... I mean... I guess that the first thing that I noticed when 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 putting it on was that it was fifteen minutes long. Now, obviously, that's very unconventional for a song. Um, obviously, I guess the the standard song length maybe is what three minutes. Yeah, it's not uh, in that sense aims for radio play. <laughs> so yeah, I suppose it's more like a, a journey or a sound journey uh, than uh, a typical song. Uh, and and also it doesn't follow uh, uh, more common song structures like verse, chorus, verse, instrumental, chorus, verse. Um, instead, I just uh, move uh, sort of through a storyline. And um, yeah, we we used we used a lot of things that that normally you don't do. For example, we don't start the rhythm uh, section until. 10 minutes into the song so we're, we're demanding something of, of the listener there and uh, what I also really like in the background is that most of the instruments uh, actually handcrafted myself so for example the hure uh, which is like a string with a board or it used to be bone or stone uh, you can spin that in the air and it creates this beautiful spinning movements I just recorded that at night in the garden. Um, <laughs> you can hear horn sounds, but they're not made by, with regular horns. It's actually a shell that was made into a blowing horn. 
So well, yeah, right. it's it's it has a lot of components that I think are are um, yeah sort of personal and cre- create that oceanic sound that I was looking for. Yeah, I was about to say that it does have that very kind of sea like oceany feel to it, and I was going to ask if that was intended. Obviously, obviously it was. Yes, yes, all the songs will uh, have that as a red thread because I'm doing all the songs for the nine daughters of Ran. Um, and then some others, but uh, but yeah, we will follow that uh, that line uh, of the oceanic themes. Okay, um, you mentioned the the nine daughters of of Ran. Um, what what is that? Uh, I'm going to play complete ignorance. I don't know who would be best explaining it. Whether it's you or or Matthias, I saw him smile. <laughs> Well, for me, I took it from uh, mythology. You have, of course, Eger and Ran. Ran uh, is uh, supposed to be the wife of Eger. And I think both of them represent the ocean, but different aspects. And uh, what I take from it, uh, Ran was supposed to have nine daughters. Each are named after different waves. And I, uh, if you look at the words and sort of the etymology behind the words i can see different plays of weather or different states of nature and i actually personally uh, put that next to different emotions or female uh, the embodiment of female emotions and they can also range from uh, calm to uh, stormy you could say so this is my artistic uh, take on on the subject yeah, and, and Ran itself, uh, this has actually been my artist name for some years now. And this actually stems from my great-great-grandmother's last name. And she was from Norway. So this just felt like a good fit. Absolutely. Um, Matthias, I mean, have you got anything to add? Because like I said, this, this, that's something that I've never, I've never heard of before. Um, I'm sure you've got some or plenty of knowledge on it. Yeah, so... Um... Um, the daughters of Ran um, are Blodokarta, Bilja, Brøbben, um, Duva, Hebring, Himingleva, Hrön, Kolga, and Un. And they're all these uh, these different words for uh, waves, except for uh, um, uh, Blodokarta, which means something like I don't know, bloody hair. Um, but that that has an interesting uh, uh, relationship to 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 the uh, ocean too. I think. I think uh, in in as as uh, Kati is saying, uh, um, they do sort of like represent different um, different states of the ocean. Um, so several of these words are still being used in Scandinavian today to 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 denote different uh, uh, different types of waves and. And so on. They are in in many ways rather uh, dramatic, um, uh, though. And this, I think, is is probably because, um, and this is an overlooked theme in Norse mythology: the the the, the relationship that these uh, Vikings um, will go on these ships and you know risk their lives on the ocean um, would have to a goddess of the ocean, who. Um, is said to uh, collect those who drown, right? Yeah. Yeah, and so so these these uh, uh, these daughters are, are sort of uh, uh, they represent different aspects of what you uh, encounter with the ocean, 
And that's where Blodokata uh, is also interesting because uh, um, you know, part of this is also warfare and um, the spilling of blood, right? And there's, a, there's actually a really, uh, this goes incredibly deep in Norse mythology because uh, if we remember the uh, creation myth, um, the ocean is made from the blood of the primordial giant Emir. So there's, there's constantly a... Um, sort of a, an analogic relationship between blood and uh, water in, in Norse mythology and in the whole Norse uh, worldview. And um, yeah, so, so there, this is in, uh, these daughters are incredibly potent uh, symbols, if you ask me, in, in context of Norse mythology there. So uh, I think it's really exciting to, to hear that there's somebody who is like working with them artistically and, uh, and, uh, uh, you know, creating music like this, and especially with that aesthetic sound that uh, where we we get the sense of the ocean all the time. I, I really, I love it. Thanks. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I really, really enjoy it. Yeah, of course, it 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 helps to have some sort of framework, and and within that, I do give my own artistic interpretations, but. Um, yeah, but it's nice to to put in the nature elements and also um, I will go a little bit into the sun and the moon or the moon's impact on tides and yeah, just like observations of nature regarding uh, as well the ocean and, and elements around that and also uh, seafaring. So it's just, yeah, it's just a wonderful topic to, uh, to engage with and uh, and learn a little bit more about uh, my nautical knowledge is improving <laughs> these last years. <laughs> but yeah, as you say, you mentioned the uh, the moon and obviously its effect on the tides. Now, is that something that they would have known or had any knowledge of at all, or did they, did they have a different explanation for why? the sea was the way it was. I can't say because I, I wasn't there at the time, but I do know <laughs> that, uh, you know, in if we look at ancient civilization uh, that goes as far back as the Sumerian era, uh, there was already observations of, uh, of stellar activity and planets even. So, yeah, this is something surely... Um, uh, History Channel might have an episode about, but uh, <laughs> I can't say. But I'm sure that uh, they had to observe observe the nature uh, to to travel, right? To have a direction. Absolutely. So uh, there's a couple of things. So when it comes to calendars, um, counting uh, time, reckoning of time uh, is is one of the oldest uh, technologies of man or humans. Um, so so yeah, they these uh, Scandinavians were uh, well aware of uh, um, the cycle of the moon, the cycle of the sun, the cycle of the different stars, and uh, we have we have so much material on that actually. Um, a lot of it was um, inherited systems that came from um, the Mediterranean and and the Middle East uh, with farming technology um, back some what, 4,000 years before uh, the year zero. So, so yeah, uh, of course, these uh, uh, the, um, constellations and so on are incredibly important um, in, uh, in Norse mythology and, and in this um, system of thinking. And when it comes to traveling, yes, the stars, the moon, the sun, 
would all be part of how you navigate. Also, uh, the directions of waves, the, the types of waves, again, that's why there are so many different names for waves, um, would give you a sense of um, how to navigate in the ocean. Um, the smell and the taste of the water would be part of it too. Um, the observation of animals and, and other things. We know this from a, a description. This is a medieval description of how you go from, um, from Western Norway to Southern Greenland where they, uh, they talk about how you should observe uh, different parts of, um, of the ocean. And you should also, um, when you're, uh, you, know, you sail uh, at a certain distance from the Faroe Islands so that you can see the ocean halfway up uh, on the cliffs. So, so basically, you, you're, supposed, you're, you're expected to know pretty much how tall the, the Faroe Islands are. And they have pretty steep um, uh, slopes. And then you should uh, be able to uh, measure... Uh, the ocean at sort of like the middle level of how tall they are. So that, that's actually all based on, uh, you know, uh, incredibly deep knowledge about what the, this landscape and oceanscape looks like uh, that you have been uh, told, if this is your first trip, that you've been told by experienced seafarers. And then, you know, you pass uh, Iceland and... Um, you pass Iceland so far out in the ocean that you only see whales and birds. Um, that's, that's the description. And then you just go straight from there, and then you're supposed to uh, hit the southern part of Greenland. Um, how that's how they navigate it. <laughs> I love how they just say straight. It's like, how do you know you're going straight when it's... Stars, <laughs> stars and moon okay. and sun, uh, if you can see them, of course, because there could be um, clouds. But um, did they so, so did they have the little stone that Ragnar has in no, uh, the Vikings? No, because no, that that stone's pretty. You know, that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's the thing that kicks off the Viking Age, according to that uh, show, right? Exactly. <laughs> so that's no, not they, true. No, they, they we don't have much evidence of that, um, uh, and we know this from other cultures too. You know, uh, look at any. Uh, Pacific Islander culture, and they are capable of navigating this vast ocean, right? Um, uh, in in what we would perceive as primitive boats, they're not a, not at all primitive at all. They're actually incredibly well designed uh, uh, technological machines, just like the Viking ships were. And this, they, I, you know what? I I can't stress just uh, how much these uh, people were awesome sailors. Like they, they, this is such a fine-tuned uh, technology that they had, both Vikings and you know Maori uh, in New Zealand, um, uh, any of the Polynesian peoples too. Uh, so it's a, it's really incredible what uh, what these uh, humans have uh, uh, have figured out in that regard. Yeah, because I mean, I imagine if uh, if I went out there in a boat, even though you know, I'm. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like the way you laughed straight away. About well, you have to learn how to how to shit over the side first, and uh, <laughs> yeah, juice. That's one of the first things. <laughs> but hey, I just uh, I just wanted to add one thing. So you, we were talking about like what uh, creates the tides, mm. and we we actually have a story about that in Norse mythology. Um, remember when where I would see. <laughs> 
what I was doing, Matthias, and it took a long time to get there because I was trying to set you up for this story. Ah, I know. Okay. <laughs> I mean, we have the story where Thor goes and uh, meets Utgard Loki, right? And when he drinks of the Vitis Hornet, so that means the Punisher horn, um, <laughs> he he's actually drinking from the ocean, right? And that is creating the tides. Um, now, Thor is an interesting figure in him of, in and of himself as as in in Norse mythology because he's actually very closely tied to the ocean and um, it, this is not something that we usually think about because he's thought of as sort of like this god that rides around in the sky in a chariot and with goats which is a ridiculous image in and of well, itself well also i mean also like thunder <laughs> thunder and lightning is almost the opposite of yes exactly sea. yeah um but you know, if he as a god back then was both connected to ocean and thunder and lightning, there's got to have been some kind of uh, way that they have seen that as as complementary sides of some kind of concept, um, which I I'm not sure what would be. But if, if nothing else, I mean, he's a, he's a, he's a fishing god too, right? I mean, he goes fishing for Midgard so much. And he um, he is a protector of those who uh, go sailing. Um, I think it's a Dudo of Saint Quentin, um, the Norman historian or French historian writing about the Normans. He says that the Vikings used to uh, sacrifice to Thor uh, before sailing. It's good to hear that. I didn't know that. So we need yeah. to talk about that some more after this podcast so I can incorporate it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you can talk about it now if you want. <laughs> no, yeah, no, no. That would be too in-depth about the material that I uh, uh, produce at the moment. I mean, it makes it kind of makes sense because I guess if you were, if you were out at sea and I guess thunder and lightning would be a very common thing of a storm and the sea getting very choppy and and, and it, it kind of does become hand in hand. You can see why they would tie that together. Maybe not so much if you were on land, but especially if you were out, you know, out in the middle of, of the ocean. I bet it's a terrifying place to be. Yeah, these are enormous forces that you're, you know, I, I suppose you feel very small uh, when you're faced with both a storm with lightning and uh, the ocean in coiling. Yeah. <laughs> so, Matthias, this... This is completely, it's kind of on topic, but off topic, but it's something that I remember hearing once. And so is it true that the Kraken comes from like Norse or Viking mythology? Is that, is, is the idea of it first appeared kind of, you so know? There is, there is a saga. Uh, I can't remember uh, what saga, but there's a saga that mentions uh, something like the, um, the Kraken. I, uh, what is it? Uh, Urvot Saga, is it? Yeah, something I mean, like that. The Kraken's obviously something that has appeared in different, you know, different mythologies. Over, it's something that still appears in kind of like popular TV and and whatnot now. So, I just I can't remember where I heard it, but I I did hear it once that kind of like the first original. Yeah mention no. of it was within Norsology and I wasn't sure whether that was true or if it was kind of just one of those things that people it is it say. is true it's a, it's Urvod's saga um where you know in a in a journey um to Greenland actually there's that the the 
Kraki is mentioned, and that is the origin of that uh, <clears throat> the, the the word kraken. Um, so yeah, it's probably you know sort of a, a, a just a literary version of the the, the sea serpent, right? Um, that that they were so big on. <laughs> okay, so not there isn't a kind of a mention of it being a giant squid type, because that's what I always picture it to be a kraken is this giant squid or octopus yeah so i'm i'm not entirely sure about the the the, the description itself it doesn't really seem like it um it is a, a giant squid uh this uh the, all of that stuff um uh actually so um these the 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 references to it actually include words like haukupa, which means sea mist, um, and limbaker, uh, which means heatherback. And that sort of falls in line with um, with the uh, different euphemisms for, for the sea serpent, for the midgasomer, um, which is, you know, actually called a lot of different things. It's not just called the, the uh, world serpent. It's also called uh, Greyback and, and a lot of other things. Uh, so uh, what happens later on is that, uh, especially the, the crazy uh, uh, Swedish uh, um, scientists in, in the 16 and 1700s, they, 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 they haven't really figured out how to separate literature from, uh, from reality. Um, so so they, um, they are also rambling about the, the Kraken uh, to <laughs> to the general science community of, of Europe, and I think that's that's where it sort of like comes into uh, the English tradition. Um, so the, there's a lot of levels here, but yes, the origin is from from the Icelandic saga material. Yeah, I don't know if that's anything you'd kind of come across, Katy, in your. No, I'm not. Uh, well, not so far. Now I have so. <laughs> <laughs> No, I uh, I did look into uh, some some Greek traditions and other descriptions uh, of of giant oceanic goddesses or terrifying monstrous beings like the Scylla, for example. Uh, but I uh, haven't dived into the Midgard serpent or uh, the Kraken. I left that a little bit more uh, to the. I, for me, it's just ingrained in my mind uh, as as a Pirates of the Caribbean uh, scene. So um, <laughs> no, I haven't I haven't uh, dived in there. Uh, unfortunately, no. <laughs> yeah, so actually, the, um, the there are some interesting things about uh, all of this. Uh, obviously, these peoples um, in in Northern Europe and and elsewhere have encountered large um, animals at sea in different ways. And um, there's especially the um, um, the oarfish, right? It's, it's a long, like serpent-like fish, and um, those sometimes wash up on shore. Uh, sometimes you see them in the ocean, right? And that could uh, that could easily be sort of one of the things that have inspired stories about these uh, sea serpents, and. Um, Actually, the the book I wrote on Norse mythology uh, for children, um, the uh, I had I I told them specifically the editors when they were um, uh, creating illustrations 
I told them specifically, make make that um, sea serpent look like a giant or fish, because uh, it just fits the the bill, if you ask me. So. Yeah, I mean, it's if you just take a second to think about what it would be like to be in the middle of an ocean, in one of these boats, like say, even though they are the well built boats, they're still you're still so insignificant to the to the ocean at that moment that it must be terrifying and everything and anything would kind of play with your mind and you would constantly be on edge and worrying about what was going to happen, especially if this, the weather started to turn. Yeah. You also have to consider that, um, there's, there are so many references to ships, Viking ships themselves as, uh, serpents. Um, uh, the, the most famous one is, um, uh, the Norwegian, uh, King Olaf Tryggvason's, uh, um, Ormorin Langi, right, which means the, the the long serpent, which is supposed to be the uh, it's said to have been the biggest ship um, ever made, and I think it would fit like two hundred men or something like that, and um, yeah, so so th- this this was a standard thing to to think of the ships too as as uh, as serpents, and there's a real reason for that actually. So, if you look at the construction of a of a Viking ship, all the uh, the boards that are used to construct a Viking ship are taken from one, um, like the, the the they are taken from one uh, um, trunk of tree, right? So, what you do is that you, if you look at the uh, uh, the the trunk when it's lying down, um, and you see the circle, right? You basically uh, cut like uh, pieces of a cake out of it, right? To, towards the center. And that way you don't ever break the lines of the tree. And that makes uh, these uh, boards incredibly agile. So when you put them together in a ship, you can stand on one end of the ship and you can uh, like grab the prow like this, uh, hold it, and then you can shake it. And then you can see that ship wobble all the way down. Basically like a serpent, right? This this makes them incredibly uh, well suited for the waves because they move with the waves. It kind of, you know, if you're not used to it, you will definitely vomit <laughs> because there's a lot of bouncing around in a Viking ship like that. This but. also reminds me of the decoration, uh, like the heads on the ships. Like I, yeah. uh, that they have to, I, and I'm not even sure if this is uh, where I have this from, but that they had to take them down before approaching land, not to scare off the landvetter. Like yeah. that it would also be like a symbolical or like animistic approach to to that ship and, and that helm's head, like with a dragon on top. Yeah, no, that's um, that's from the Icelandic law. So in the, according to Icelandic law, you have to take them off so you don't scare the landvetter. Um, and yeah, that says a lot about the uh, relationship that these even medieval Christian Icelanders would have to the land in Iceland. They they were very convinced that it was populated by by spirits, and we may assume that the, probably uh, you know uh, continental Scandinavians had similar uh, ideas. Something uh, I was gonna, I wanted to ask was when I was in the Viking uh, Ship Museum in Norway, the, I remember reading something about how the heads used to have rattles, you know, like iron rattles in that they would put in the mouth. And 
whether I remember it correctly or not, was I guess the heads would be taken from the ships and would they be put within the campsite somewhere and it would be used as a, a way to ward off evil. I'm not. It's just something that I kind of remember, but I'm not sure I I remember it correctly. Yeah, I'm not. Uh, I'm not sure about that. Actually, this is really weird. The, the, the Viking Ship Museum in 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 Oslo is one of the few Viking museums I've never visited. Oh, really? <laughs> it's, yeah, it's 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 such a like I I was actually planning on doing it this year, but then you know pandemics happened. <laughs> but wow, yeah. I mean, it was just like I say, it was something that I remember reading and finding it really interesting. Um, yeah, one that I guess interesting. The, one that I guess that these heads were detachable, that you know, they, they took them off. And I just remember it being something to do with that the heads would stand within like the campsite or within like the head of one of the tents and would have like a the the the, the metal rattles in the mouth. Mm. Um I'm sure I took pictures of all the boards to be honest. I might have a have a dig and see if I can teach you something, Matthias. Yeah, that would be great. <laughs> no, I I mean it's it sounds very likely. And you know, of course these uh, these uh, dragon heads or whatever they were, right? Um they they were used both as a scare tactic and also as a as you know a, as a protection, right? In a in a spiritual sense. They, you know, to bring the monster with you, right? Uh, as you go to war, as you go out and face the the ocean, that is one of the most powerful ways that you can, you know, navigate your world as 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 a, uh, a spiritual human being that's also a warrior, right? In this animistic worldview, right? So yeah, it makes it makes total sense to me. They would probably, you know, put them in the campsite or in, you know, put them on their tents or at the entryway or wherever they, they felt like it was needed to, you know, scare people off too. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so to, to kind of get, get back on, I guess on topic, but not that we have strict topics on this, this show anyway. Um, so what, I mean, what's next with, with the music? Obviously you've, you've released the first single. Are you going to release another so- kind of trickle out the singles or will the next one be, the album as a whole. No, uh, the next uh, release will be another uh, single track, and uh, with an A and B side, and this is also has become another lengthy piece of music. So it's it's it it really feels like short EPs because of the length. And in the meantime, I'm uh, developing and recording, uh, of course, all the other songs. And it would be really great if I can uh, release it as a, a one album. But so far, I really like to uh, to do it track by track, and uh, and also sort of really, yeah, dive in deep per per soundscape. And uh, yeah, I I always call it quality over quantity. So uh, absolutely, yeah, I'm very lucky to share. Uh, just did that today, also on my pages that I recorded for the next release, uh, an Icelandic epos, or more like an eulogy. Um, and we worked with uh, linguists from Iceland and also worked with, uh, you know, a sort of like an homage to the old Rimer style of composing texts. And I have on board um, a person who is... Uh, doing all the sustained strings 
normally for uh, acts like Sigur Rós or Björk. Uh, his name is Borgar Magnusson. And to have him on the track really gives it the music or direction that I was looking for, for that very Icelandic feeling in music. So, yeah, it's been really good to dive there in deeply. And uh, actually, yeah, we're, we're recording the last guest, Gal, uh, in a week. So uh, after that, it's just recording the other new songs. But it's going to be great. I, I'm very happy with the results so far. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm definitely looking forward to it. Um, right before we recorded this, I was stuck in traffic, making you two wait for me to <laughs> to turn up, and you know, I had uh, Blood Billia on in the in the van, and it was you know, it's like you like you said said before, it's it's a journey. Um, it's very kind of nature based. It makes you feel kind of, I guess, at one, it's it's a strange. It's a strange feeling. It's 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 not like you say. It's not like a conventional song in any in any way. It doesn't follow the the blueprint of what a, a song, take, quote unquote, should be. Um, but it, you know, it's it's brilliant. I, I I loved listening to it. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really created uh, in in with with both trance work, um, the handmade instruments that I mentioned, and. Also, the deep of night, you could say, usually starting close to midnight until the morning hours uh, <laughs> when I had time because I always have a, like a day job. So it's like this is my second job for the night. And uh, I think that feeling uh, is sort of, yeah, back, is in the song or hearable in the song. It's deep, meditative and uh, definitely not a, a regular song structure. So, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. It's a good track. I'm already working on the next one. But this is, of course, the reference frame that people have now of the new work. So I understand. I'm, I'm excited to, to hear more about it. So, um, or hear more music. Because, um, uh, yeah, uh, I personally, I, I have a very like, personal relationship to the ocean. I think uh, most Northern Europeans, like, you know, from, from, the, uh, from the Dutch coast and, and all the way up through Scandinavia, we're all very closely tied to the ocean in many ways. And and I've uh, this is uh, moving to Colorado is the first time I live more than a couple of miles from from us from the shore basically. Um, I mean, I've lived in Denmark and Iceland and Greenland, and it's always been very close to the ocean. So usually when I go to Europe, and um, right now I'm reminiscing a little bit because I won't be able to <laughs> this year. <laughs> um, I, I I fly to Iceland. And then the first thing that happens is that you get out of the plane in Keflavik Airport. And then I just take like this big breath of like salty seawater <laughs> and a, like this air that comes from the sea. And, and then of course a lot of jet fuel as well. Um, and, <laughs> and it's just, it's just one of the most amazing things. So, you know, uh, music that centers around the theme of the ocean is, uh, is something I, I really enjoy. And, um, this brings me to this. Uh, we're all familiar with the story about Njörður and Skadi, right? The mm -hmm. the goddess of the mountains and the god of the sea, right? How they they couldn't get along, and this is this is such a, a prevalent theme. This uh, so we know the story from Snorri's Edda, but there's also a another version of it in Saxo, uh, the Danish historian. 
who I mean I, I was going to say I don't know if you want to give like a quick yeah breakdown of the of the story just for you know for obviously people listening that that might not know of the story yeah so this all begins with the gods um, being responsible for killing um, Thiazzi. Thiazzi is a Yertun a, a, a who lives in the mountains. He, he's in the shape of an eagle, typically. And um, um, I'm, I'm not going to go too much into that story, but uh, but it, that's a whole story in and of itself. And then uh, the second part of the story is that his daughter, uh, Scotty, um, also known as Undurdis, uh, she um, uh, she basically goes to war against the gods. Uh, this is one of the few instances in the mythology where you see uh, a, a female wearing uh, armor and carrying um, uh, weapons. And the gods, they don't know what to do with this, apparently. They're like, holy shit! Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> so they, they, uh, they offer her a truce. And uh, the 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 truce uh, the, the the whole deal is that um, uh, she um, uh, she gets to pick a husband among the gods, and also they have to make her laugh. <laughs> and, and this is this is really interesting because uh, the gods then go, okay, fine, you can pick uh, a husband among the gods, but you have to only pick uh, by looking at the feet. And so they fixed that. Somehow. Such a strange thing. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it is. And she she really wants to marry Balder because he's like the the most beautiful, handsome, manliest of the gods, apparently. Um, so she's like looking at the feet. So I don't know. They must stand behind some kind of curtain or something. No, I don't, know I don't think seen... it's the feet they're really referring to. But okay, go on. Okay. I, I was gonna say, I, I don't know if you've ever seen a show in the UK called Naked Attraction. And that is kind of has this this feel to it where if you haven't seen it, it's basically five men or five women stand behind these these kind of not they're not sheets they're like moving boards right and yes and they're, they're completely they're completely naked and the person who is obviously getting to pick the their their match stands and looks you know looks at them and the board lifts each time and reveals a little bit more from the bottom upwards so they'll start from the waist down being completely naked and they will look and eliminate one and then it will move up into <laughs> the chest height and then they will eliminate one and then it'll move up to the to the head so that's what it kind of reminds me of this uh this i guess it's kind of like a game show I, yeah <laughs> I, 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 I think i do think we're on the right track here uh, <laughs> kati I, I think you're right when you say this is not the feet that we're actually dealing with here that might be sort of a snarristudlesson's little christian version of the story um <laughs> but nonetheless she, she looks at the feet and then she goes oh this person has incredibly pretty feet so that's got to be uh, uh balder and then it turns out to be another and uh then we have that little section where uh, um where we, uh, where the gods have to make um, um, Skadi uh, laugh, and this is the probably the biggest hint that it's not defeat uh, that we're dealing with here, because uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the solution for that is that Loki takes a, a string and ties it to the the beard of a goat, and then he takes the other string and ties it to his testicles, and then they pull back and forth like that. And eventually she laughs at that. 
so so there's a this story uh in so many ways definitely um includes sort of a a threat to male sexuality and masculinity um that that is posed by this uh deity um against the gods in 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 some way and i there's a, there's a lot of this that has to do with the christian interpretations too of 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 pre-christian myth but but uh, but the the end of the, it all is that this very powerful goddess um, who comes from the mountains um, gets uh, a husband who uh, is closely associated with the ocean, and that doesn't work out. And as I was saying before, this uh, Saxo, the Danish historian from around the same time as Snorri, actually has a similar story, uh, where it's just a Danish king and his wife, and they're like hanging out uh, too much in the um, in the mountains and then he starts bitching about that and wants to go uh, go a viking and all that stuff <laughs> <laughs> so it's this is like a a a constant theme actually in 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 old uh, um, scandinavian literature in different ways the relationship between the ocean and the land and especially the ocean and the mountains and it and it looks like these these people very much prefer the the ocean too to the inland. I was going to say my my takeaway from that is that even even Norse gods understand that an angry woman is really bloody scary. Oh hell yeah! And they <laughs> and they just put their hands up and were, they were like, you know what? Well yeah, we, 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 rightfully we, so. We will just, we will just <laughs> let you have what you want. <laughs> that that is very certain. Yes, <laughs> some some things never change. Exactly. You should learn from history here, guys. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, we have. We have. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, Matthias, one thing I wanted to, to quickly kind of ask was, obviously within kind of like the Greek and Roman pantheons, you have like a god of something. And is that something that appears... Because you kind of see the Norse gods being called the god... like. I guess Tyr, like, gets called the god of war or this. Is that is that true or is it not that simple? Um, it's complicated. It's complicated. <laughs> we haven't said that. We haven't said that for a while. We haven't said that for a while. Yeah, so um, in in a sense, yeah, you could say that the, these gods are gods of this and that. But uh, whatever that this and that is, is, uh, is up for debate. Um, for instance, uh, a good example is... We, we just talked about uh, uh, Thor uh, being in charge of uh, rain and thunder. Um, but, um, you know, uh, actually, that, that is from uh, Adam of Bremen, um, the German historian who's writing in the later part uh, of the 11th century. He, he tells us that in the temple in Uppsala, uh, Thor is seated and he rules over rain and thunder and the bounties of earth i think it is and um also was of illness so that's a lot of different things that he's involved with here mm -hmm. now if we compare that with what snurri sturluson says um it's not the same there there's very little um that has to do when it comes to thor that has to do with the bounties of earth and 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 all that stuff it is more Thor is sort of like a, a god of humans. Uh, he's called Midgasverjandi, so the protector of Middle Earth. And um, uh, all the other aspects that Adam of Bremen talks about aren't really uh, uh, relegated to him. On the other hand, Freyr, 
is the one who's in charge of rain and the bounties of Earth. So, so that's a big difference, right? Um, and Adam of Bremen tells us that Freyr is uh, in charge of marriage. So, um, now we could interpret this in different ways. First of all, we could say, oh, this is not a student, so he's a Christian, he misunderstood. Um, we could also say that uh, Adam of Bremen is a Christian and he misunderstood. Uh, <laughs> we could say that both of them are geographically and uh, uh, temporally, so in time, removed from um, the actual religion, right, that was being practiced. We could also say, well, Snyder Sturtleson knows one tradition and Adam of Bremen is familiar with another tradition, right? An Eastern Scandinavian and a Western Scandinavian tradition. Um, we could also say that um, there's a possibility that these deities were more fluent, right? That they could be in charge of uh, these uh, different aspects in, in different contexts. Um, it, it is also likely that uh, these people, these pagans, they had more concepts of, um, uh, of for instance, rain, right? The, the different kinds of rain, just that they, like there are different kinds of waves. Um, you know, when you when you when you live in uh, nature like that, so to speak, um, with a, a, a life situation that we as modern humans are so far removed from. Um, then you notice many more things about that world, right? And you have uh, more things to say about it, more uh, words to uh, uh, to use for it, right? We just look at rain and go, rain, right? Uh, <laughs> well, like, but Yeah, it's interesting you say that because before when you were talking about the different names of the waves, I was literally thinking, well, to me, it's small wave, big wave. Yeah, maybe exactly. like a, maybe occasionally, occasionally, maybe like massive wave if it was... Uh, yeah like tsunami level. But other than that, that's pretty much my vocabulary for waves. Yeah, but uh, but no, these people, they had so much more vocabulary for waves, for, for rain, for um, uh, types of leaves, you know, all these things that we have lost now because we have moved inside and then we've let, uh, you know, industrial farmers take care of the production of food and, you know, carpenters to taking care of uh, you know, building houses and, and so on. And uh, everything has become so specialized. So we get like tunnel vision in that sense. Um, these cultures didn't have tunnel vision. They had much, much more broader, holistic sort of perspective on, on the world that they lived in. But you also have to consider that it was localized, right? So they had a broad perspective on uh, their little snippet of Scandinavia, not so much anything else. And that's why, uh, you know, uh, in the beginning of the uh, sagas of the Norwegian kings, they talk about how there are dragons in Russia and stuff like that, right? <laughs> yeah, I could say dragons seem to be something that pops up everywhere. Like every civilization, culture... Seems to have some form of uh, some form of dragon. Yeah, of course. Uh, but again, in uh, in Scandinavia, they they actually call them Ormur, and that means uh, that means worm. Uh, I was certain... I was just about to ask that. <laughs> yeah. That what I what I seem to have read before was that the dragons in in kind of like the Norse mythology were more worm like rather than this big kind of Game of Thrones style dragon. Yeah, they do have that word too. Uh, though in Old Norse, Tereki, uh, which is, you know, uh, um, borrowed from uh, from Greek. So so there are two traditions, it looks like. So there's the one that comes in with the continental literature, 
And then there's the homegrown tradition, which is, you know, about worms. So, for instance, uh, when Sigurd the Dragon Slayer kills Fafnir, he's killing a, 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 a quote-unquote worm, an Ormer. Um, well, he, kill, he, he he hides in the in like a ditch, doesn't he, and sticks his, his sword up and yes. Fafnir slithers over the top. Exactly. Which, like you say, is no dragon that I see in kind of like popular or modern culture slithers you know they have these legs and yeah fly. <laughs> yeah exactly and that's because it's a snake right um that that's that's the kind of monster that the scandinavians would be familiar with because of the few snakes that live in, in scandinavia so so katie one thing i wanted to, to to ask you about um now that now that i guess that they've announced what the new assassin's creed will be will be about i i noticed that you were i guess were some sort of advisor to the new game um can you speak about any of that or is it all pretty hush hush um yeah well uh at this moment in time i can uh speak about what i what i also wrote in my post uh because there's a lot of um, non-disclosure contracts going on here mm-hmm. but i yes i have uh i have been to montreal Two years ago, actually, when they announced this um, this team to their own company, uh, which was amazing, and uh, we performed there for um, for Assassin's Creed's team, you could say, and uh, and from there uh, we we kept in contact. So I have actually consulted them uh, on various things, uh, you could say content, but. Um, uh, that's not uh, as a Norse professor or anything, but mm-hmm. actually really specific other types of content, and also a network because I uh, through the last twenty years I built so much network with with crafters and musicians and people that I know who have specialized in certain topics. So mm-hmm. uh, it's been very helpful for them to sort of navigate what's out there and who best to reach out to for specific things. That's what I can say now. And yeah, we, we have, uh, we're, I think they will announce or they will, they will, uh, they will put something out, but it still takes a little bit of time. Yeah. Like you say, if you were there two years ago, I think they, it was only a few months ago that they released that the new Assassin's Creed game was definitely going to be, kind of like Vikings based. So it shows how long they've been working on it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's a long time to, to bite your tongue also. That's it, I bet. <laughs> Matthias, where was your call? Wait, what, what? <laughs> where, where, was, where was your phone call? Uh, they never called me. Um, they called others. <laughs> I, 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 I constantly like, hear about this and that person that I know who's been involved <laughs> in it. So, uh, um, yeah, I mean, they... They've had some really good, uh, solid um, mm-hmm. uh, people involved. I, I know, uh, um, you know one of my uh, old friends and colleagues from uh, Sweden, for instance, has been involved. And in, uh, she's a room specialist, so I, I expect a lot from that. Um, so yeah, I, it uh, from what I've seen, I've only seen that little um, trailer video and and everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, I, I I think it looks like uh, solid Viking entertainment right there. There's a lot of people who want to criticize uh, the garbs and as the always. hair and all that stuff, and I'm like, whatever. As, al- as always, <laughs> that, 
People can't see me rolling my eyes. But it's, <laughs> like you say, it's something we've spoke about before. It, at the end of the day, it's entertainment. And, you know, I'm not a huge gamer, but I have played the Assassin's Creed games before and played quite a few of them. And they do seem to, you know, try their, you know, try their best to get things, you know, fairly accurate. Obviously, at the end of the day, it is a game and it is entertainment and it still has to follow the narrative that they've set up over, you know, maybe 10 previous titles. It still has to kind of have that running through. But they do seem to definitely try their best to, you know, to, to make things right. I know when um, Notre Dame was burnt down, I think one of the things that they used or they are using to rebuild Notre Dame is the Assassin's Creed kind of like the 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 details and the notes that they took because it was so accurate. They're using that now to try and right. rebuild it. So they definitely do, you know, they go into detail and they try their best. Obviously, like you say, they've been in touch with you, Katy, and they've, I'm sure like there were many people that they've they've spoken to to really try and try and nail it. There's teams of, of specialists, but and and but then there's also other departments like game writers or you know um, developers of of the visual and you know that is just company business and as you say entertainment. The impression I had uh, from from the time that I did work with them is that they are they really stuck their neck out to talk with uh, specialists. So mm, that's very yeah. promising. Yeah, yeah. No. I so with that trailer, I saw somebody with a with a nasal voice on 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 YouTube going like, um, "Oh, that's that <laughs> armor is not correct, and that armor is not correct, and that kind of stuff." And um, uh, so what I can see from from uh, that trailer and uh, comparing with what little I know of Assassin's Creed, and for instance, like. The, the one that they did in uh, ancient Greece and, and that kind of stuff is that uh, the uh, overall it looks like the, the the Viking one is less historically accurate than the ancient Greece one um, but uh, I don't think that's a problem because uh, to be honest it, there's it's only a really small subset of human beings that care about uh, historical accuracy right it's like well that's it at the end of the day they're making a game for the masses and yeah you know they're not trying to really please joe blogs who knows the finer details about uh you know armor from the the, the 10th 11th century it's it, you know it's, it's an entertainment yeah exactly it's, it's it's a little like you know people who worry too much about the correct pronunciation of of old norse right you have some who is like, oh, this reconstructed Norwegian, and some are like, oh, modern Icelandic. And you know, at the end of the day, as long as you you understand what word is being spoken, who cares? <laughs> That's my position on the, on that stuff. <laughs> as long as he doesn't pull out a pistol, I'm happy, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, so Katy, I mean, overall, I guess was it a was it a good experience? Was it? Was it something, I guess it was something new, something completely different to to what you're used to. Um, yeah, it's been good. Um, you know, uh, on a personal level, I think it was one of the most amazing shows we ever did. Um, because we had, of course, it was uh, you know uh, made by Ubisoft, so it was a, a round stage and beautiful, beautiful. Wow. I had a, a choreographer who, who usually works for Cirque du Soleil. <laughs> You know, oh, wow. so uh, mm -hmm. 
there, there was a, a lot of uh, high-profile expertise present there, and uh, so flying in uh, just to do that for uh, actually an announcement for their own company. That's all. That's awesome. I mean, was it was it just you, you on your own, or I I brought two musicians with me um, to to enhance it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I was, <laughs> I think I've never been so uh, nervous actually. And I, I have been on stages forever, but this mm-hmm. felt entirely different. Um, they had so much attention for detail, but also they were so afraid to make any risk that I had to be held by people just like walking up the mm-hmm. stage. So I wouldn't uh, fall. Like I never mm-hmm. fall, but <laughs> they just don't take any risks. No. Well, that's because there's, there's lawsuits everywhere these days. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. How many people? How many people were there? Was it a fairly small crowd? I guess. Uh no, it was quite some people. Oh, okay. Yeah, and yeah, VIPs and and the like. Yeah, I mean, I imagine it's it's terrifying. Like you say, it's. I guess it's it's one thing you put on a show where people have paid to come to see you, but then when somebody is is paying to take you, you know, paying to bring you to them to then put on a show for. For their employees effectively i guess that's that is quite a a daunting thing yeah but also fun yeah absolutely really yeah nice people there so no like, that's brilliant that's like a he says once in a once in a lifetime thing i mean do you do you get more nervous doing smaller kind of niche gigs or is it the large ones that kind of scare you no i actually feel uh this is funny i feel totally uh, comfortable on a large setting um, for example when I've been guesting for other acts or like with, with Merkur or with Heilum because it's their show <laughs> yeah. and you could just blend in and do your thing as a singer or, or a Clarka player but uh, doing something small, a solo on your own, I think uh, that's definitely it's more intimate in that sense, more rewarding, but also uh, very fragile. I think this is also what attracts people to these type of shows, because you feel so close with the artist. But but personally, I like a little bit of distance. I rather have a sea of anonymous people than three <laughs> people staring me in the eyes. <laughs> so, but that is I, that's different for every artist. But uh, yeah, for me, I, I, yeah, that's my conclusion. The bigger, the better. <laughs> you know, as uh, speaking speaking of those uh, um, lecture halls before, um, you know, as a as a teacher, it uh, can sometimes feel a little uh, more intimidating actually to to go into a smaller classroom than those large lecture halls because you just you know you you just see a sea of people and that's that right. <laughs> but with these with these smaller groups, you have to. Uh, you, you you see you look them in the eye right you get to know them um, much better too over the course of a semester so yeah it can be a little I think I'm actually always a little nervous on the first day in any class <laughs> yeah I, I, I bet I mean I don't do anything anything like that but I mean I get I get terrified doing the intro to the podcast every week so <laughs> yeah, I usually I usually fluff it and there's only two people <laughs> so you know, I I'm definitely not made for public speaking. It's 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 a skill that you can learn, man. You just... That's also <laughs> what I was thinking. Like the more you do that, 
different types of shows, the more you will be accustomed to it. But I also think, uh, you know, large concert settings, they sort of share the same type of energy. So you sort of know what to expect and how an audience reacts to different songs and during the entire concert concerts. But with, with small solo private shows, you really feel the room and it really matters okay. where you are and you know but that at the same time it's more rewarding that direct contact yeah so i i, I have a question for you kati um what is the what does the future look like in terms of um uh, uh, like giving concerts and, and performing these days yes uh well, I have new band members. Uh, they're in Denmark. And uh, luckily, they opened the border to Denmark. So we're actually discussing uh, when to meet and uh, and to bring everybody together. And yeah, it's been a long time of not performing uh, for various reasons. And now I'm very happy to, found, uh, to have found people that I want to take this on with. Um, but it will be a little bit of a different setup um, life. And um, I don't want to share too much about that because we are actually right in the middle of figuring it out. But one of the mm. main, main differences will be that it's less focused on the artists and more uh, on an, an entire visual and audio experience. Um, and the use of uh, backing tracks as well as live instrumentation. So I sort of take the ego out of it or mm -hmm. the, the, the spotlight on, on, the, on, the, on the skill and the, like, the profiling of the artist. I, I want to do it together with people um, without um, revealing actually too much about who is performing. That's what I can say about it. All right. <laughs> is is there any word on on what's happening re regarding kind of like the whole coronavirus type thing? Um, like like how how a concert will work? Because I imagine obviously in the UK, I think they're dropping the the whole social distance thing down to a meter. But even then, though, you know, I imagine a a concert where everybody is stood a meter apart. It just it doesn't sit right in my head. You know, it doesn't feel. I imagine it's not going to feel like. A concert should do well it's different per uh per country still and it's also different mm -hmm. how people are handling it in this time what you see now is that of course a lot of concerts are postponed to 21 and mm -hmm. everybody sort of assumes that by then we can play again as we always did but actually we still have to wait and see if that's going to work out and then there's also um, uh, venues that are starting uh, to work with new tools and methods to, to have concerts uh, uh, going on. One of them is actually being done this summer by a really beautiful concert hall. And they call it the one and a half meter sessions. And it's actually a walkthrough situation. So the audience mm -hmm. can go from, from concert room to concert room with a limited amount of people and they sort of walk through various concerts oh. and yeah it's definitely different than it was before but a lot of venues are trying to their best to keep running because otherwise they sort of have to shut down with uh, with not having a lot of uh, governmental support uh, for the culture sector so you also see um, some venues starting to live stream concerts 
with a donation platform for artists. There's a lot of uh, forced creativity happening, at least for this summer and this fall. And, uh, and let's hope that next year we can go back to a festival situation. Yeah, I think ev- ev- everyone's having to adapt. I mean, the one thing I was just thinking then was, would it be possible to do, I guess maybe like an arena hall, but have, I guess like they used to do in the 1920s and 30s, where you would have the tables and you would eat your food, but you would also have a band playing on stage. I imagine that that kind of style, you would automatically get that distance in. But it, would be, it makes it more of a, I guess, an experience as well. It's something I would certainly like to do. Mm-hmm. We could... Uh, Matthias, we could get um, Jonas to, to do the food. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm glad to hear that they're, they're being creative with all of this. Um, we just recently started opening up again for concerts here in Colorado. But it looks like we might actually have to shut down again very soon because, um, well, the U.S. isn't doing great when it comes to all of this. <laughs> So, <laughs> no. I think as, as Texas started to shut down again. Oh well, yeah, the, the Texas they uh, they've had what was it like the one day they had a spike of like six thousand cases in one day. Um, so so yeah, Texas is uh, is pretty badly hit. Um, several of the southern states are. Um, uh, places that were hit badly in the beginning, like New York and Connecticut, they are getting better. So yeah, mm-hmm. it's going back and forth. I think Florida is uh, is um, going is getting pretty bad again. Arizona has just had to shut down their bars and gyms and stuff like that. And oh, it's in, it, it's absolutely insane. I think we we here in the UK are about to open open bars. I think this weekend. So in you know in a few, in a few days, and I, I mean everybody knows how much the British like to have a beer. So I can't imagine the uh, the scenes on on Saturday and Sunday. But did the numbers ever go down in Britain? <laughs> well, well, I don't know. Like I say, they've been they've been um, relaxing things to say. But I guess one of the things one of the things they did was I think the social distancing was two meters to start with, but there was just no possible way that you could open bars and restaurants with a two meter distance, and so they. They somehow managed to do it to a meter. Mm, yeah. Well, I mean, here it's that I don't know what it is with Americans, but they're not good at following rules or guidelines, man. <laughs> no, I, I I've seen the whole uh, the, you know face mask is face mask is against the constitution argument. Oh yeah, which... or 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 because of God or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but no, just simply like you know social distancing in like the public space like people don't don't really i mean some try but uh then you have like a yeah. huge crowd of people who just can't figure it out and it's like the simplest thing ever just like you know walk around people people are yeah. creatures of habit and especially if it's sort of like an invisible threat it's harder for people to maintain um, new new protocols because you yeah. just yeah. because it's in our you know we are social creatures so you yeah, want to exactly. connect with people so so the answer is actually to walk around with flamethrowers right yes like, <laughs> <laughs> that's a visible threat right there <laughs> that yeah that is yeah that um, yeah and just use common sense I suppose yeah oh that that could work too <laughs> yeah I guess 
I mean, I, it doesn't help, obviously, with the um, with the mass scale protests that have been going on. That's never going to help when you're in the in the middle of a pandemic. Um, now, I don't want to necessarily touch on this too much. We can just kind of brush over it. But obviously, Katie, you were very outspoken um, in your support, and I guess so were we with with Hansworth as a company. We've always been pretty outspoken, and uh, you know, when we we've used um, models of different, you know, different ethnicities over the time, and we've received hate from, from the, I guess the, the, I even hate saying the word community, but hate from people, you know, saying, you know, how can you have a black model? And it, that's not Viking. That's not this and that. So, you know, we've, we've had our fair share of, um, fair, you know, fair share of attack from this. So I guess I noticed that you, you'd had a fair bit. I did. Uh, you're referring to my uh, black towel posting uh, some mm-hmm. time ago. No, I was, I was, uh, of course, uh, you know, with all of these things, I think it was important to show support with a cause that is rooted in, in ethics and basic human mm-hmm. behavior. Uh, Thou shalt not kill or whatever uh, religion you follow. Uh, so of course I showed my support and and with me uh, the entire music industry uh, took a chance to post a black towel and of course it's debatable whether one day of a black screen is is effective or not but I think it does gives off uh, a signal that you are supporting um, the raising of awareness I think what is important here is that we are sort of faced with a challenge um, and we can choose whether to have a sort of subconscious or um, um, you could say egotistical uh, identification form of response to it or to choose for a more conscious response where you say, okay, I'm more aware of this issue right now. And my uh, intention behind the black towel posting was to just raise that awareness of uh, of a problem that we are still mm-hmm. facing today and yeah my responses however uh, by the fans or like a part of the fans uh, have been uh, very shocking they've been mm-hmm. very hateful and um, this for me personally raised uh, uh, awareness that a certain amount of my following has um, some sort of identification with uh, white supremacy, and that was very shocking to me. So I basically asked them to bugger off. And, and yeah, to sort of close that off, uh, I was very happy with a lot of messages of support that I've also received with with fans uh, or, or groups writing me privately, not even publicly, but privately, sneakily, like, oh, mm-hmm. thank you so much for doing this. And my yeah. only reply has been, uh, I wish more people did yeah, it. Yeah, that's it. No, exactly. I, I, I want to really commend you for doing it. Um, I, I wish that we saw more musicians uh, in this theme of Nordic music uh, uh, expressing a very clear anti-racist stances because um, we see this, that, that there are so many of the fans who... Uh, have some kind of relationship to white supremacy and also believe that the musicians that they listen to uh, represent the same kinds of thoughts and ideas. And there's a big difference between uh, being firmly rooted in a, in a Nordic identity and then being a white supremacist. And 
there, there needs to be a clear uh, uh, cut between those two things. Um, I, I think it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, the, the things that are going on right now um, uh, with this uh, issue are, uh, I, I, I just don't understand why, how you can be, uh, you can sit there and look at uh, situations where people are getting killed uh, by police and then just be like, oh, that's some kind of natural scenario that, that just needs to yeah, people normal. will. What the hell? People will always try to fit it into their own narrative or what they identify with, uh, and and anything else might disturb your narrative of your point of view in, in the world. And I think it's just important that we raise awareness to the issue itself. I mean, that alone is an act of uh, rethinking uh, how how we ourselves might even be. Uh, wire subconsciously and yeah i'm yeah, I, I, i'm also totally with you uh when you say it would be good you know if other musicians or sort of people who have some sort of flag under which they um, give out norse mythological content or norse academic content or norse music um definitely make make it clear absolutely because people i mean Obviously, like your fans look up to you, and they and people mimic what they see. And unless, like you say, like Matthias was saying, some people will just assume that the artist holds the same opinions they have. So when you speak out and say, you know, this is my opinion, and I don't hold those those views, then hopefully it, it makes people look at themselves and reevaluate their own thinking and think, you know, realize that it's not. Maybe they shouldn't think that way. Maybe it's not okay to be be that, and it's not accepted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For me, yeah, exactly. The whole topic isn't even, luckily, actually, isn't politics. <laughs> it's no. just, uh, it's just, don't harm another person. That <laughs> should be nice to people. It, it's not, it's not hard. Just be nice, be nice to everyone. I mean, yeah, and you know what? It just like the color of another person's skin is not a threat to your existence, man. No. Just you know, grow a pair, please. <laughs> I mean, the. the not many people will know, but this is the exact reason that the podcast even started. Um, that's how me and you met Mateus was because, you know, we used Marlon as a model who happened to be a black gentleman and people, you know, I, I guess I, I, I knew that some, we were going to receive some negative comments, but I didn't know how, you know, how many. And we made a, we made a post basically, saying, you know, this isn't acceptable. We don't, you know, we're not going to entertain it. We're going to block and delete any comments. And, you're not going to get a platform from us. And then you reached out and were like, I guess you didn't, you weren't sure whether, you know, how bad it actually was. And, you know, I kind of showed you these comments we'd been getting. And that's how yeah. we, that's how we met each other and started the conversation. And eventually kind of, it grew into the podcast. Yeah. 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 It's been, I think what has been mostly surprising to me and also something that I should put my own awareness on is, is the amount it's sort of like when you lift the carpet, there's like way many more uh, problems than, yeah. than it looks like on the surface because normally people aren't that un outspoken unless you uh, 
sort of uh, uh, put an idea out there or a black towel. And I think in my case, it was particularly amplified because there's also a thing like uh, I'm also a woman. So there's also a little bit of a yeah. small patronizing aspect uh, <laughs> to it, which it's is uh, like a double, double, uh, double fight, you could say. But mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, I at least um, the positive note is that also a lot of people have written me to to thank me. And so they also feel the need that mm -hmm. more uh, platforms uh, are clear. Yeah. yeah, I think that's uh, important to stress too. I mean, there, there are far more anti-racists in, in this scene than, than there are racists. That That's really important. I also, I wanted to, to ask, just to add one more comment to this. And that is, a, I, I feel like sometimes I see that, um, you know, in Europe, people are like, oh, this is like an American problem. Um, but it's also very it's much every, a European it's problem. <laughs> Yes. It's everywhere, and <laughs> the, the, I think we've said, before, you know, time and time again on this podcast that it's you have to we have to do something against this because it feels like we we're losing more and more to I guess to the people outside of the community. They just kind of assume that this type of stuff is attached to white supremacy now, and that's a very unfortunate thing that. It's, you know, and it's slipping. It seems to be slipping more and more. So unless the people who who don't think like that are willing to speak up and say, then the outsiders will all, you know, will just assume and tie everybody with the same brush. So part, part, you know, I think that we have a the the people who are interested in this who don't have those, you know, ideologies and thoughts have a have a duty to speak up against it and to say, you know, this isn't how it thinks how it is and and say something you know and help educate people of how the mythology really is because i'm you know it's fearful that we will lose more and more because you know it's it, it's okay the people who are interested in this understanding that there's less racists than racist but you know there's millions billions of people who aren't interested in Norse mythology who are just you know onlookers and when they see you know a piece of shit being, you know, saying what he, what he wants to say and, you know, being racist, but wearing a Milner around his neck, they unfortunately attach that to everybody else. But there's also a little bit of, um, and this might be, uh, this is a little bit difficult to say, but there's also the aspect of branding and marketing involved here because it, it's sort of like a to total look that people are going for. And um, and that is that is pretty masculine with this whole Viking. Uh, yeah. I mean, you can see it in the in the quotes, like, oh, let's go raiding and, uh, and make sure your beard looks perfect. And, you know, and there's this sort of stereotype. And, and you know, I agree, men with beards are handsome, but that's not the, the point here. <laughs> it's just that <laughs> it sort of addresses and targets and markets to a specific audience of which a certain percentage is also involved in white supremacy absolutely i mean every time we openly speak out against you know whether it's we use a black model or whether we post like the the, the black tile in in support we we lose you know maybe 100 200 followers which doesn't bother us but to to some companies I guess they may be fearful of speaking out because they understand that it ultimately may affect it may affect their bottom line 
and take money out of their pockets. So it's that fear, that fear factor as well. Yeah, and I think yeah. you should put ethics above likes or or American dollars in that sense, or European uh, or European euros. But I mean, yeah, just uh, but that's me. <laughs> no, I I agree. I agree very much. I mean, those, uh, uh, yeah, there's uh, there's this tendency to market this whole uh, scene with like neckbeards and mohawks, right, and uh, and face tattoos. But uh, it, you know, it, it, and personally, like my aesthetic goes very much along those lines in different ways, and that's the same for you, Daniel. Um, but uh, that's just <laughs> us. That's that's what we like. Uh, yeah. This says nothing about what the what the scene should necessarily be. Um, there's, there's room for so many different expressions, if you ask me, and I would love to see more of, you know, well, alternatives to, to the neckbeards and mohawks, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know whether you experienced this, Katy, but one thing I noticed was it was the message messages from people who who weren't who weren't sort of Caucasian, who but who were interested in Norse mythology, who reached out and said, you know, thank you for, you know, thank you for making taking this stance and you know because they felt i guess they, they felt like they couldn't almost be themselves amongst um, you know amongst the community and it was i found it really sad to kind of get these messages from people who who felt uncomfortable and felt the need to even say thank you to us because we we made a stance of that it's not okay to be racist you know like it's this real twisted kind of feel that just didn't sit it just was really disappointing to even have those messages it's it's it it of course is is based on individual experiences there but um it's funny because in, in the nordic scene that i got to know which is sort of long before this big vikings hype um i did not personally experience any trouble like this if i would go to scandinavian viking market with reenactors everybody was welcome and still i think there is overall broadly carried a sense of inclusivity and um, actually a coming together of tribes and respect for uh, one's, one's different skin color or culture or background. It's just that recently, I feel, uh, it sort of took a direction uh, where where the right white supremacy and the toxic masculinity if i'm if i'm allowed to call it like this has been <laughs> amplified um, um within some, some, within that nordic scene sometimes i wonder if it's just a case of that the you know the assholes shout the loudest and you know it is and you know it is a small percentage of the you know of the community but they make the most noise or at least the most controversial noise that people will then take a note of and then it will be shared on social media and and you know it gets the most light to it yeah i i would say that you know of the of the you know scene folk uh whether or not we're dealing with academics or uh or artists um i i know very very few that i could say would be a racist like there, there's there's not even not even a handful of people and that is, that is also why it's then a shame uh, that 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 people aren't speaking out more because you know these bands they're not racists they don't sympathize with these ideas at all so speak out guys in the same way you know if you're as you said if you're an academic with a platform speak out if you're not a racist speak out um, 
and 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 anybody else who's got an interest in this um because you know this the the, the ultimately this this the effect of this um just like before uh, 1945 uh, the effect of this is that if you uh, go down the route of of linking our culture to racism and fascist ideologies then we end up not being able to practice our culture exactly that is the problem that that we are facing as uh, as northern europeans yeah, and that's why i think you you need to to take an an offensive approach to you know not you know you don't have to be screaming in people's faces this isn't racist but it's it's to be able to educate people on what it actually means and then to show that it doesn't have you know it doesn't have those links exactly. yeah and there's of course many ways to educate but um mm -hmm. but i <laughs> but sometimes you just have to make it clear i really believe that so I wish more people did that, and uh, and luckily, you know, uh, as you said, Matthias, the people that I know, they all don't have this uh, this type of ideologies uh, that are so harmful. So uh, I don't think yeah. it's I don't think it is, uh, you know, a problem that the people who don't put in black towels or a statement uh, are are racist. It's just that it would be nice if things were cleared up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I I think I saw a video on Facebook the other day of um, a gentleman who was wearing. It was it was a white gentleman wearing what would be I guess was I think they were a racist punk band like a neo-Nazi punk band from the UK and he was wearing it like a band T-shirt but he also had a Milner on, and you know a guy was filming him saying you know why are you wearing that T-shirt, but the guy the guy also made a comment about his Milner was like oh you know look at this runic piece of shit, and it's like. That is what, unfortunately, people from the outside are attaching, and they see they're seeing that, and they're you know they're attaching it to these white supremacists. So that's why I say, unless we, we as a community, speak out and act to prevent that, more and more of these people who just you know who don't know they just don't know any better. They're just you know they're not interested in in Norse pathology, and that's you know that's up to them. I think it's a bit weird if you're not, but if. Uh, <laughs> It, you know they they're not so from from the outside they like they say they don't know any better so they just see these videos and see things and go oh well you know the Milner is racist. I I personally I really love the suggestion from uh, Cut from Hell and I started to do it I have so much fun with it I just whenever I get a toxic patronizing racistic comment I just say okay Ragnar and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. We. We should get Kat on. Kat is uh, <laughs> she's a great person. Yes, yeah, she is. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that's that feels like it's the um, kind of okay Karen, okay Boomer version for the uh, for the Vikings. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> let's see. Awesome. I mean, let's 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 wrap this one up. We went down a bit of a, a dark rabbit hole, but that that was something that I wanted to touch on. Obviously, like I say, I knew you were happy to speak about it, Katty. So. You know, it's something that me and Mateus have, you know, there's, there's probably hours on this podcast of us as, as being, you know, speaking against it. So, <laughs> I think it's very good that you do this and that you are outspoken about it. So thank you as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I say, it, I, again, I, I feel like it's disappointing to even, for you to even have to say thank you because it's, 
it should just be normal, you know. It just for for me, it just doesn't seem to make sense how it, it should just be normal that you, everybody, you know, just be nice to people. Like exactly. I mean, so Kathy, um, do you want to let people know where they can where they can find you, where they can find your music? Uh, yes. Well, uh, on most platforms, it's at Kadi uh, underscore Raon. Um, uh, please put a, a little hashtag in the in the podcast post so it's easier for people to find. Absolutely, we will. Yeah, I'm on all the platforms uh, for for YouTube, um, Spotify, um, iTunes, anything you can imagine. Uh, it's out there, and um, I hope to see some of you guys on my pages as well. And uh, absolutely, thanks for having me. So, on Spotify, is it just under under Ran? Or is it? I know you you've been in bands before and other bits. Yeah, sometimes the algorithm so. uh, wants to direct it to other other names, but it's uh, it's this Ran, and mm-hmm. um, uh, there are a few other X uh, World uh, music groups that use this name. So yeah. if you really want to have a very quick search, just type in the name of the song you're looking for. That's it. I just want to make sure you know. I want to make sure people can can find it and obviously when the uh when the album does come out we'll make sure we share it and get it out there to people i mean by all means come back on and we'll speak about the album um you're all you're you are always welcome it will be the third time but the only the second release (laughs) (laughs) exactly yeah when the when the new single is out i'll send you a link and we'll chat a bit on it cool yeah definitely uh Matthias, where can everybody find you? Well, you can always find me by my name, Matthias Nordvik, on Instagram. And you can find the Nordic Mythology channel on Facebook, of course. And you can, of course, find the podcast and all the different uh, outlets that are available. And I think that's, at this point, this podcast is sort of like my central venue. That that is the main thing that I do now. (laughs) Yeah, it feels like it. (laughs) Yeah, you wrote me in, man. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I mean, hopefully one day it'll be worth it. <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> so you can you can find me at uh, obviously at Horns of Odin um, or hornsofodin.com if you want to check the website out. And just before we all go, I would like to quickly say, you know, if people have enjoyed the episode, if you could just hit subscribe on your, you know, wherever you're listening to it, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. It just means that you'll see whenever the next episode comes out. So you're going to get a notification. And also, if you could leave us a five-star a five star rating and a positive review, that helps. You know, it helps people who, who find the podcast uh, at least know that we're doing something right. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you both very much. Katy, thank you very much for, for coming back after my colossal fuck-up of losing the last one. <laughs> It's been my pleasure. It's been fun again. Yes, yeah, it has. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much.